we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me uh, this evening uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I want to deliver on a promise I made to you a few weeks ago that I haven't fulfilled as of yet, but I'd like to fulfill tonight. Before we transition into verse number 2, of 1 Corinthians 11, which that's where we are uh, in our study. But I want us to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, then we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And um, I want to speak to you on uh, the questionable matters, these questionable matters of, you know, the limits of our liberty. Uh, I preached a message uh, a few weeks ago, probably back in November now, this liberty of yours uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul explains the limits of our liberty and uh, the uses of our liberty and the potential misuses of our liberty. And really, he deals with that subject in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. In chapter 8, he, lie, he lays out for us those limitations uh, upon our liberty. And uh, in, in chapter 9, uh, he speaks of his own example and the way that he put those uh, principles and truths into practice. And then in chapter number 10, he warns us of the potential of idolatry in our lives and the fact that we must be careful in the exercise of our Christian liberty because there is the potential in our lives to fall. In chapter number 11, he concludes this section with this statement in verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And Paul said, follow the example that I'm giving to you. Follow not only the example, but more importantly, the teaching that I am presenting to you as the Spirit of God uh, leads and as the Spirit of God inspires me to write. Now, let me tell you one thing I think that will help you in your study of 1 Corinthians as you read it. It is that Paul is answering a series of questions. Uh, these thoughts that he is giving throughout this book that we've read, the questions on marriage and the questions on liberty and other questions that he is answering uh, he is answering a series of questions that I would imagine the Corinthian church had sent him. And so in this book, he's responding, as the Spirit of God is leading him, he is responding to many of their questions. And can you imagine being a first century believer, living in an awful place like Corinth, especially if you are a Gentile? The New Testament is not complete. You're assembling each week with those Jews who uh, have heard the law and been taught the law all of their lives, and many of them are insistent uh, that you follow some of these things that you've never heard about. So I would imagine the potential for uh, all kinds of problems existed, and so there was a need to get some answers. And so the Apostle Paul 
is writing to give clarity. Now we go back to chapter number 8 and verse number 1 where this section began. And he says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity uh, edifieth. And if any man uh, think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours be come a stumbling block to them that are weak. Uh, that's really the key phrase here in verse 9. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. Paul said, yes, you have liberty. And obviously there was a debate, and we've, we've talked about this much over the use of meat and eating of meat. But the principles that we draw from this passage apply to us. While we're no longer debating over uh, the meat that we eat, uh, should we eat it? Is it offered to an idol? Although there are many people who debate all kinds of things. Uh, the principle here deals with our liberty and the limits on our liberty. As we think about our Christian liberty and the exercise of it, now, in this passage, Paul gave us three limits to our liberty. I, I won't dwell on them. I'll just simply mention them. Number one was the limit of knowledge, what we know. And we also have to remember that while many may know certain things, there are others who do not have that knowledge. And though knowledge is good and we need to increase in knowledge, we need to understand that the misuse of knowledge, well, it puffs us up and has the potential for division. So the limits of knowledge. And then uh, he gave them the limits of conscience in verse number 7, speaking of the fact of their conscience, not only their own individual conscience, but they have to be aware of the conscience of those who are in the assembly, and then those unbelievers who might see them exercising their liberty. And so in these questionable matters, when you make decisions you have to understand you're not to violate your conscience. You're not to violate unnecessarily the conscience of a, another believer in the congregation, nor should you violate the conscience of an unbeliever, the limits of conscience. And then we see in verse 13 the limits of love. Our motivation then should not be for our own personal gain. Our motivation should be to do what is best for our brothers and sisters. Now, we reviewed that. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear that message, uh, you can go back on the website, the archive, 
and uh, you can find that sermon, This Liberty of Yours, from 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. And uh, if you need to refresh on that, then I would encourage you to listen to it. Now, at the conclusion of that message, I said to you, I wanted to give you some principles or some guidelines concerning questionable matters. Should I do this as a Christian? You fill in the blank. Should I watch this? Should I listen to this? Should I participate in this? These are all questions that we're faced with in this world on a daily basis. And how do we as believers respond to these questions? And so I just want to give you some biblical principles this evening to help you in deciding uh, whether or not you should participate in any behavior that is doubtful. Now, let me just say this before we give these seven principles or seven truths. Uh, If it is doubtful, that ought to raise some concern automatically, right? If you say, I don't know if I should do this, If that thought is in your mind, then we've been told twice in these chapters, take heed. Take heed. Uh, Give this some thought. Examine uh, this question, all right? Now, how should we examine it? Well, we should examine it prayerfully. We should examine it prayerfully. Uh, We should ask God to give us wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom... The Bible tells us that we can ask of God who giveth liberally to all men and upbraideth not. So if we need wisdom to make decisions uh, concerning questionable behaviors, questionable activities, then we can pray and seek the Lord. And then we, of course, need to read the Scripture and study the Scripture and take heed of the warnings that we have received. And then we need to approach it honestly. Honestly. Oftentimes, especially when we're trying to justify our behavior, we can approach these questionable matters uh, with prejudice, meaning we've already determined what we want to do. We're just looking for an excuse to do it, or we're just trying to grab and find an argument that justifies what we want to do. That's not the honest way to come to the right conclusion, is it? So we have to be honest. We have to be prayerful. We need to be humble, and we need to seek God in his word. So I'm going to give you seven criteria, maybe seven questions that you can ask, you can think on, you can meditate on and pray about as you consider these questionable areas of behavior. Uh, The first question is this. Number one, is it excessive? Is it excessive? All right? So whatever, whatever thing you can think of, whatever question you may have, ask yourself this. If I participate in that, uh, is it excessive or does it have the potential to become excessive? Now, all of us know ourselves pretty well. Now, we're desperately wicked. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. But we know ourselves. We know what we're prone to. And that's why honesty is important. 
The question we have to ask is, is this activity, is this habit necessary? Or is it merely an extra thing that's not really important? Remember, the Bible said, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. There are things that we pick up in life, weights, right? And uh, those weights can hold us back. They can keep us uh, from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. So when you think about questionable behaviors, ask this question. Is it excessive? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the very passage I mentioned. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And that's different for each of us. It's different for each of us. Now, some of us may share some of the same weights, but in, in practice, we all have different things that uh, become weights to us, that introduce us to things which become sinful in our lives, and it just easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So when determining these questionable matters, ask yourself, number one, is it excessive? Here's the second one. Number two, is it expedient? Is it expedient? Is it profitable? Is it good for me? That's what we're really asking ourselves. Is it, is it necessary? Is what I want to do helpful and useful, or is it just something that is desirable? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12, all things are lawful unto me. That means they're permissible. We've looked at that passage already, but all things are not expedient. They're not profitable. They're permissible. You can't say they're sinful necessarily. You say, well, that behavior is not necessarily sinful. So it's permissible. But the question is, is it profitable? Is it going to help me walk with God? Is it going to help me in my relationship with him? Is it going to help me in my service to him? Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He said, I do not want to become a slave to this. I, I do not want to become someone who is bound to this habit or this activity. I don't want a stronghold erected in my life. I've talked to many Christian people uh, who, when it comes to certain preferences, uh, on either side of the spectrum, whether you would consider it sort of a con ultra-conservative position or a, or a more uh, worldly position. There are idols in their hearts. I've heard people tell me about the kind of church they're looking for, and it has to have this, and it has to have that. With no regard for what Scripture says, with no regard for how the Holy Ghost would lead them, for no regard about what is proclaimed from the pulpit, you see, and so we must not be brought under the power of any. Is it expedient? Number three, does it emulate Christ? Does it emulate Christ? In other words, uh, does it reflect his spirit, his attitude? Now, we looked at a classic example this morning in Joab, right? Joab had the sword, and he was going to get Abner, and man, didn't he take care of him? And when he did, he felt better about the whole thing, but David felt horrible about it. 
because Abner had been brought into fellowship with David. Abner uh, was one of David's servants now, and Joab smote one of his servants. David is seeking to bring the nation of Israel into harmony, into peace, and Joab's selfish, vengeful, sinful act threatened that. It threatened the whole kingdom of David. It did not emulate, it did not represent David's gracious spirit. And what we have to think about is in these things that we want to do, does it emulate the spirit of the Lord Jesus? Would he, uh, would he consume that type of entertainment? Would he speak those words? Would he go to this activity? Would he wear that garment? You see, those are all questions we must ask ourselves if we're willing to, if we're willing to ask them. Does it emulate Christ? Is my attitude right in this moment? Is my unwillingness to talk to my brother, is that something that emulates Christ? Let me give you the fourth one. Will this help me set the right example? Will this help me set the right example. As believers, we are called to set the example for other believers. Somebody is watching you. Mom and dad, your children are watching you. They're watching you. If you can make a decision to dismiss the meetings of the church based on some worldly activity, you're setting an example for your children. And they're going to decide that they can do the same. You see, examples are important. And the world and our families and our young people need examples. Now, none of us are perfect, but we can strive to set examples. There are weak brothers, as Paul mentioned. There are new believers who are looking at your example. The words that you speak, the way that you talk about difficulties and problems, the way that you talk and speak about other Christians, people hear those things. The way you do business, the way you treat your employees or the people that you work with, people are watching us. You know, you can't just say business is business because business is not business for the Christian. The way you conduct yourselves, the way you file your income tax return, does that set the right example? If we set an example that others can follow, then we're thankful to God for that. What did Paul say to Timothy? Let no man despise thy youth, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Now, there's a lot of things to cover there, right? Be an example of believers in word. That's in what we say. In conversation, that's our manner of life. In charity, that's how we interact and demonstrate love to our brothers and sisters or to a lost world. 
in spirit, that speaks of our attitude. You know, sometimes you can find people who are good people, but they don't have a gracious spirit. You have to walk on eggshells around them. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The last thing on earth anybody wants to do is make them mad. <laughs> because if they get upset, everybody in the building is going to have to pay for it. It makes everybody uncomfortable. Nobody can enjoy anything. If you're that kind of person, you need God to change you. And you need to seek the Lord. That's not the right example. In faith, in faith, what is faith? Faith is believing God, right? Looking to Jesus. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If our only message is gloom and despair, man, I'll tell you what, things are just awful. And they, they're not really good, are they, right? We know that. The economy is going to crash. Oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? We're all going to die from COVID. <laughs> That's not faith. That's fear. I don't want to send that message to my kids and the next generation. Do you? I don't want to wring my hands all the time and be upset, drinking Maylocks and taking Tums. I don't have to be a negative, nearly. I can have faith. Faith. And if you struggle with that, then you need more and more of the word of God. You need to be conscious of it. And you need a heart full of faith so that you can be an example of faith. Impurity. It's hard to stay pure in this wicked world, isn't it? Purity. Purity in our hearts and minds, purity in our speech. May the Lord help us. So, number one, is it excessive? Number two, is it expedient? It might be permissible, but that doesn't mean it's profitable. Number three, does it emulate Christ? Is it representing him? Number four, will it help me set the right example? Number five, will this behavior impact my effectiveness to evangelize the lost? Will this behavior impact my effectiveness to evangelize the lost? In other words, is my testimony going to be helped or hindered by this? Will unbelievers be drawn to Christ or turned away from him by what I am doing? You remember the quote I read this morning from Mahatma Gandhi who said, we like your Christ, it's your Christians that we don't like. When Christians see, or when the world sees no difference between the language we use and the behavior that we uh, live out, if you can talk in front of your buddies at work about another woman in a sexual innuendo type of conversation, then that's, that's damaging your effectiveness to evangelize the lost. Remember when Lot went to his sons-in-laws? He says, up, 
get you from this place. The Lord is going to destroy it. He seemed as one who did what? You remember that? He seemed as one who mocked. They said, who in the world? What are you talking about, Lot? You hadn't been to church in ages. What in the world? Who are you thinking you are to tell us what we need to do? Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. We need to be aware of our testimony, the example that we're setting. Number six, does it edify? Now, Paul has dealt with that theme all through chapters 8, 9, and 10. Does it edify? The question is, will this activity, will this behavior, will this thing build me up and help me grow more mature in Christ? Will it make me spiritually stronger? Will it make me spiritually stronger? In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23, all things are lawful for me. All things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So we talked about expedience, but here comes the truth of edification. Is it going to build me up? And is it going to be something that helps build up others? Or is it going to tear them down? Then number seven, this is the last one. Does it exalt the Lord? Does this, this music, this movie, this, you name it, this activity, does it exalt the Lord? Will he be lifted up and glorified in what I do? God's glory and exaltation should be the supreme purpose behind everything we do. 1 Corinthians 1031, whether therefore you eat or drink or say those next three words with me, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. You see, I think we're tempted oftentimes to think this in this world. Is there nothing we can do for fun? But the problem is our fallen minds, our fallen nature is attracted to the fun that Satan offers to us. And the truth of the matter is it's no fun at all, is it? What does it bring? Death and destruction. Yes, Christians can have abundant life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have life more abundantly. It means you can enjoy life. You can enjoy him. You can laugh you can have a good time. You can compete on the court. Uh, you can go out on the golf course. You can, you can work and, and, and enjoy uh, life and business and, and um, home life and married life. There is so much that God has for us to enjoy, and we should enjoy. Remember what Solomon said. He said, he said um, I found out there's nothing more profitable to do in life than to eat and to drink. Now, this is not a eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die a passage. But what he's saying is to enjoy the labors, to enjoy the fruit of the labor. You see, God gave us a responsibility. God gave us a job, and we go to work, and we do something productive. 
and then we are paid a wage. We're compensated, and we ought to be able to enjoy that. God wants us to enjoy our lives, and we can exalt the Lord in that because that's modeling for our children that, hey, the Christian life is the blessed life. It's the best life. It's not a drudgery. And we can exalt the Lord in that. But the things that the world looks to for fun leave people empty and full of regrets and despair. There's nothing like, nothing like an undefiled conscience. Nothing like it. That's the most enjoyment we can have. And so may the Lord help us. So how is it that we're going to decide about questionable matters? Should I do this? Should I go here? Should I wear this? Should, should I participate in this? Uh, should I enter into this deal? Whatever the case may be, should I consume this product? I think there's no doubt there are clear answers to a lot of these questions. Just that many people aren't willing to listen to those clear answers. And if that's you, then these principles aren't going to help you because you've already decided, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But if you're sincere and if you're prayerful and if you ask God to guide you, he will. Will he not? So ask these questions. Is this excessive? Does it lead to excess? Is it expedient? Is it really good for me? Is it really helpful? Does it emulate Christ? Does it reflect his spirit, his obedience to his father, his mission? Will it help me set the right example for others to follow? Will this behavior, this matter, impact my effectiveness to evangelize the lost? Does this behavior edify me? and others who are watching me. And number seven, does it exalt the Lord? Aren't you glad God gives us direction for these things? Now he gave us direction. It's up to us to follow it. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.